Friends, would you open with me in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6. We're in Ephesians chapter 6. I'm going to read just one verse for us today, verse 10, which introduces where we will spend our time this summer exploring this wonderful passage on the armor of God. But before we get there, we need to read this important verse that's the hinge for this entire paragraph, and that is Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, which says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Let's pray together. How ironic, Lord, that I feel pretty powerless this morning to get up and preach. It's just one of those mornings. And as I was thinking and praying about that while we were singing, I thought, I bet a bunch of us in this room feel powerless to hear another sermon today, week after week, that we might struggle to apply in the coming days. If that's the case, if we feel that powerlessness then I imagine you have us exactly where you want us. And that is to be empty of ourselves and to be full of you and the power that you give in the way that you give it and to the means and the ends that you deliver it. And when you do something in us and through us and this church and even these next 20 minutes together, we will only be able to say, it is you. Lord Jesus, and your power among us that has done this. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Friend, I want to ask you this morning after we read this great, great verse on power. Have you or are you losing your faith in the American church? You've been a part of her for a while now. You've seen her, you've seen her warts, you've seen her sins, you've seen her ills. Are you losing faith in the American church? Is she weak? Do you despair that this sleeping giant will ever wake and thrust herself into the Great Commission with all her strength and to see cities turned upside down by the power of the gospel like they were in the days of Acts? Do you wonder if the American church will ever prize and cherish Jesus above all things? Like above money and sex and politics? Will Pentecost that we just observed be a passing blip on the church calendar or will the Holy Spirit fall afresh with divine power on the American church? Have you lost faith in her? If you're here this morning and you're not a believer, you're not born again, you haven't made a profession of faith, but you're willing to explore it, and maybe you've heard that there is resurrection power in this place. Like you can come here and hear God's answer to sin and death, but you spent a few awkward moments in the coffee hour, and then you've been here in worship, and you're afraid that you've come to the wrong place. This doesn't feel like the place of power that you heard about. Or if you are a believer this morning, and you're here, by the skin of your teeth, with your family, kids in tow. 
Do you feel weak? Do you feel beaten down by sin? The same besetting sins again and again and again. Are you bored of your own confession of sin? Are you dogged by the same temptations day after grinding day? Have you begun to hate yourself for the sin that you do every day? Does this grind you into a kind of shame and silence, a place that that you feel so fragile you can't be honest with yourself and you certainly can't even be honest with people who are closest to you? Or maybe for you, it is depression and anxiety. Those spiritual emperors of maladies that plague you every single morning of every single day. Do you hear false voices? Do they lie to you? Do they crowd out the shepherd's voice in your life? Is much of your Christian life joyless? Do you feel weak? Because the word visits us today with power. You came with weak and brittle hearts, but the word comes to us with power. This is one of Paul's favorite topics in his entire letter. It's one of his favorite themes in Ephesians, and we know that because he starts the letter with power, he holds up the middle of the letter with power, and now here he is ending his letter with God's power. You can critique Christianity You can complain about Christianity. You can share your grievances with Christianity. But please, oh please, do not make the mistake that the devil makes that the Christ of Christianity reigns today in the church without power. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but power. 1 Corinthians 4.20 Our verse, Ephesians 6.10, Paul picks up this theme again. And he says, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. But it's a dangerous verse. Because it's so easy to take a verse like this and to lift it out of its context and how it comes to us and what surrounds it and read it superficially. Like this is one of those verses that we want to tweak. This is one of those verses that we want to embroider and put up on our mantle and look at it from time to time. And if we do that out of its context of what God is doing in us and in the church, it will be nothing more than a powerless pep talk for us to get back out there and to try again. Have any of you played on a really, really lousy sports team? Like, I mean a winless sports team. Have any of you had the distinct honor in your childhood career to play for such a team? Some of you are like, no way. I'm a winner. I don't play for losers. Well, I did. I'm a loser. I played for a lot of those teams, but one of them that I really remember was in high school. It was, it was almost a winless basketball season. It was miserable. And if you've been in those situations, you know the depressing 
powerless halftime pep talk, right? You kind of all with slumped shoulders go back to the locker room and the coach comes in and he looks like he's just pulled an all-nighter and then drank a bunch of Red Bull. He's got this like nervous energy that says, my childhood dreams of reliving my glory years are gone and you're responsible. And he kind of looks at you and says, all right, we're down by 30 at halftime. They're big and they're strong. Shoot, even their cheerleaders are bigger and stronger than you guys are. This is bad. But hold your head up. You got nothing to be ashamed of. We're going to get back out there. We're going to be strong. And we're going to play the basketball we know how to play. Right? And then like lambs to a slaughter, (laughs) run back on the court and lose by 60. And it's awful. That's what this sermon can be. That's what this verse can be. If we're not careful... We can use this verse in the same way. It can be a Christianized, powerless, halftime pep talk. We get in here dragging ourselves on Sunday morning, and we look around and we say, man, y'all look rough this morning. You look really rough. That was a tough week in Christ. I mean, I know the devil looks big and he looks strong, and I know that you appear a little shaken up by the week, and the spiritual disciplines you didn't do, and the mission you didn't engage in, and the sins that you once again took on that we talked about last week that you weren't going to do this week, but you did them anyway this week. And you all look rough, but uh, Ephesians 6 says, get your head up, get back out there, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might, and, and we can do this thing, right? If we did that, that would be what I'd like to think of as a brave heart sermon. Do people still watch the movie Braveheart? That was like a a cornerstone of my childhood. So I'm happy to hear. Did anybody nod that's under 30? Do people still watch Braveheart? You guys know what I'm talking about? Braveheart is that movie Mel Gibson is William Wallace, who's the Scottish rebel who defies the English, fights against them. It's wildly inaccurate, which makes for a great, great movie. But you've got this scene where you've got this ragtag group of rebels, Scottish rebels. They've assembled. They're ready to fight. The English look fierce. They've got heavy mounted cavalry. It looks like this ain't going to happen. And William Wallace is trying to ride back and forth and cheer up the army before they fight. And one of the veteran soldiers, he calls out to him, fight against that? No way. We're going to run away and we're going to live. And then Mel Gibson says this, and I wish I had a horse and a broadsword and a Scottish accent because this gives me chill bumps every time Mel says this to me. (laughs) Fight and you may die. Run and you may live. And when you lay on your deathbed, Many, many years from now, would you trade all of those days, every one of them, from this day to that day, for one chance, just one chance, to come back here and to tell your enemies they may take your lives, 
but they will never take your freedom. Oh, that gets me every time. And we hear that church, and we charge out the door with goosebumps and smack into an unseen enemy who's been doing this a lot longer than we have, and it's an absolute massacre. We get destroyed again. There are two huge problems with a brave heart sermon on power. This is why we're not going to go the Mel Gibson route this morning. Problem number one, it confuses the nature of power that God really gives us. We're so enthralled by that kind of power, we're going to miss the kind of power he's actually offering us. And if we don't even know what kind of power he gives us, then we're not going to celebrate it when we see it in our lives. We're going to miss the nature of the power here. And number two, if we don't have power and someone is shouting at us that we need to have power, it's only going to reinforce the shame of our powerlessness. It's actually going to make the whole thing worse. So I want to talk about these two things, the nature of power and the source of power, according to Ephesians, just very briefly. First is the nature of power. When we say be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might, before our imagination runs wild about what we'd like that kind of power to look like, let's listen afresh to what God is telling us that power is going to be. That's, in essence, what we're going to do this summer. We're going to dive into the spiritual armor that God offers us, and we're going to see in detail the nature of the power that he offers Each piece of armor, it represents power, not that we celebrate in our culture. It's not this self-reliant, pushy, dominant power, but it is the sweetest, strongest of fruits that God plans to bear in the life of a believer. Let me give one example. Let me just give us a teaser, one piece of armor that God gives. It's the very first piece of armor, and think about the William Wallace power, and think about what God is offering us in power, and you'll see the difference. He says, I'm going to give you the belts of truth. And it's like, Jesus, I want a sword. I want to start with a weapon. And he says, I'm going to hold your pants up with the belts of truth. That's what you get. God actually gives us strength to be truthful. Truth is armor Truth is power. Some of us in Christ, for the first time, are going to get the spiritual armor of truth. We're actually, maybe for the first time in our lives, going to be dead honest with ourselves. That's a scary, scary thing. That takes courage that only God can give by his Holy Spirit to be honest with ourselves, honest about our story, honest about our past and what has happened to us and what we've done to others, honest about our pain, honest with ourselves about our real struggle with sin, honest with God 
about these things, that would be an absolute miracle. That would be a symbol and a fruit of divine power in our lives. It actually reminds me of one of the first times the apostle Peter was around Jesus. And I think of Peter because I think we can all agree he's a truth guy, right? He's the kind of guy who's outspoken. He's very blunt. He doesn't mind rebuking other people. He doesn't mind rebuking Jesus. He's just going to, what he's thinking, he's going to say. He's got no filter. He's a truth guy. But honesty is a different animal when it comes to ourselves. Even the most outspoken person among us may not be equipped or powerful or have strength to be honest with ourselves. In Luke chapter 5, Jesus is with Peter. He performs a miracle. Peter's able to bring in a huge haul of fish. And while the other disciples and people who are there are jumping around celebrating the fish, something happens in Peter's heart. And he falls to the ground. And do you remember what he says to Jesus? Depart from me. I'm a sinful man. Oh Lord, please. Spend time with other people, not with me. Please, please don't come near me. It's like Peter had this sixth sense. If I go with Jesus now, if I leave what I know and what I'm comfortable with and I truly follow him and I make myself near him, the more I know him and the more he empowers me, the more I'm actually going to see the darkest part of my heart. There should be an impulse in every single one of us when God says, I want to give you the belt of truth to say, I don't know if I'm ready for that. I don't feel strong for that. I don't feel courageous for that. I'm not ready to be honest with myself or then to turn around out of that honesty and speak truth and love to other people. But God says, I'm going to give you power in truth. When we say be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might, one of the things we mean is with this new courage and strength, be honest with yourself and be honest with the people that God has put in your life. That's something of the nature of this power. It's unlike anything we've ever known. It's unlike anything we celebrate within our culture. It is a foreign and an alien power to us in our sin. And God says, this is the nature of the power. That's just one piece of the armor. And this is the power that I'm going to give you. Don't be so busy thinking and hoping that God would make you this kind of person over here that you miss, that I've created you how I want you, and now I'm going to equip you with armor, and this is the nature of the power and strength that I'm going to give you in the person and story that I've made for my beauty and my delight. That's the power that we're after here. That's the nature of the power. Let's talk something about the source of the power. How do I get that? That's the That's the power I want. That's the power I need. I I begin to see what God is offering to me. How do we get it? We said that shouting about power, stamping our feet either with our kids or our spouses or our life group or our church with impatience for power, shaming people into seeking power, all of that is going to backfire. 
all of that is going to hurt the process of growing in power because there's this wild paradox within power, and that is the more we do these kind of punchy pep talks with each other on power, we're going to make weak Christians weaker. We're going to shame them. We're going to, by our impatience, make them grasp at things that are not power, and they're going to get weaker. So if I don't have that tool that I use in my workplace and on the ball field and with my kids at home, which is angry, shaming, impatience, what do I go to when I want to see this kind of power grow in myself and in the church? And Paul's clear answer to this is that powerless people need prayer. They need prayer. In all three sections that Paul speaks about power, beginning, middle, and end, in every single section, he weds power to prayer. He doesn't just want to talk about power. He wants to talk to the God of power and to see his power reign and fuse inside of each of us. Let me prove that to you very, very quickly as we look at these three sections. Chapter 1, you can even flip there or put a finger there. He starts that whole section on prayer, which is chapter 1, verse 16. He says to the church, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. If you're looking for a a way to break outside of a rut and pray for one another, look at Ephesians chapter 1, 16 and following. Paul says, I don't stop praying. I pray to the Trinity And this is what I pray for, this, 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 and then verse 19. That they might know the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. I pray to God all the time that you, church, know that you share Christ's resurrection power. The second time he does it is in chapter 3. Chapter 3, verse 14. This time Paul says, when I pray, this one's serious, and so I need to get on my knees. And he says in verse 16, that he might grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, all so that we would have strength to grasp what is the breadth and length and height and depth of Christ's love. Because if we have the strength to absorb the love of Christ, verse 20, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask, according to his power that is at work among us. Finally, chapter 6, which is our command. He says, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. But you already know by now that Paul in Ephesians is not going to give a command to be strong and to find strength that he's not going to turn around and back up by much, much prayer. Verse 18. Don't take this for granted. 
Don't assume that you're going to get on this armor and be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Instead, verse 18, pray at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. Make supplication for all the saints. Teaching alone can't create this kind of power. A lecture on Jesus' resurrection and authority, as helpful as that would be, that can't in and of itself create this kind of power. Not even Bible verses alone. Not even taping Ephesians 6.10 to your dashboard. As wonderful as that would be, in and of itself to know this verse cannot produce this kind of power. God brings this kind of power. God delights to deliver this kind of power. When we get on our knees before God, when we pray his word back to him, we invite the Holy Spirit to come and to open the eyes of our hearts that we might see the power that is at work within us. Prayer is essential, essential for power. When Paul prays, he fully expects. He's praying in faith and he has no doubt that the church is going to be swept up into this reality. That the exact same power that God used when he raised Jesus from the dead and brought him into heaven and seated him at the right hand of the Father over every name and power and principality and authority, that that power is at work in the church to make us a truthful people, a peaceable people, a righteous people fully clothed in this gracious, wondrous armor of God that we might be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. God's going to do that in us. And so I'm afraid that I've already done too much talking and not enough praying. So we're going to pray. And we've done this a few times in Ephesians. We've not just tagged on the little tiny pastor prayer to close out the sermon. We like get on our knees and we do some serious praying. I'm going to be on my knees. I invite you when I pray. If you want to kneel at your seat and pray or simply bow your head where you're seated, do that as well. And I'm going to begin to do where words and sermons and even Bible verses leave off and step into the world that God invites us And that is to pray his word back to him that he might give us this power. So church, let's get on our knees, let's bow our heads, and we're going to pray to God. Gracious Heavenly Father who leans in and listens to a weak and fumbling people, on our knees, so, so convinced of our powerlessness and our sin and our shortcomings to be the kind of Christian that we think that you had hoped that we would be at this point in our lives. 
we throw ourselves on you. Father, I think of the besetting sin in this room. I I think of it in my own heart. I do the same things every day. I'm tired of confessing the same sin every day. We are a people fraught with sin. God, I used to pray that you would just take a sin wholesale out of my life, like the temptation, the addiction, everything, it would just be gone and I'd never think of about it again. And then what glorious things I could do for you and in you if I didn't have this same sin in my life and, I, and I've pleaded that for others in this church. And for this season you have said, no. It's going to stay with you. It's going to dog you. You're going to have to pray the Lord's Prayer. Deliver me not into temptation. Spare me from evil and the evil one. We're going to be dependent on you for the next breath, the next loaf of bread, the next fight with temptation and sin. We are going to be wholly dependent on you. Father, I pray for those of us who are suffering now. We suffer because we've either sinned and done something that we're living out the consequences of. Lord, something has been done to us and we've been wounded by something. Father, some kind of sickness or some kind of just misery has befallen us. Father, I pray for those of us who suffer. I pray that we would taste that you are the shepherd who leads us through the valley of the shadow of death. I wish you would take suffering wholesale. I wish every prayer we prayed for relief from sickness and pain you would answer. But in this season you have said no. We will carry this cancer. We will carry the loss of a loved one. We will carry this broken relationship. We will carry this resentment. And you, O Lord, and you alone will give power to heal and to restore. Do that in our midst. Father, I pray for those of us who are experiencing deep and abiding shame in our life. Some of us have never been honest with ourselves about the sin that we struggle with. Some of us have never been honest with another person about where we are in our Christian lives. Some of us would rather die than tell another person what we think, the doubts we have, the sins that plague us. God, I would ask that you would Lift that shame and take it from us and we would never experience it again. And that is a promise for heaven, but in this season you have said no. And we're leaning on you to give courage and strength with the belt of truth to be honest with ourselves, to be honest with a fellow believer, to be honest with you that we are a people of unclean lips and we dwell among a people of unclean lips. Give us courage. Give us strength. Lord, this is the picture of a church that is strong in the Lord and in the strength of her might. We are a church on our knees, needy for your grace. And you will do it, and you will give us courage, and you will give us power because you delight to do that very thing and to confound powers and principalities in heaven by the way that you work through the weakness of the church. We praise you for this in Jesus' name. Amen.